they come in and they ask me how many years I got, and I say, I'm 42 years sober. They go, you liar. Yeah. What? I ain't taking that shit. You just lie. And they can't see anything past that, but the guy that's got two days is exciting. Mm -hmm. I know when I came in, I thought the guy with three days was a guru. And the guy that was getting a 25-year cake, I thought he was lying through his teeth. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Good day and welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life and Our Collective Journey podcast here at the Plugged In Media Network studio. How's it going? Things are are good, man. Things are good. I'm excited for today. Our guests are... uh, new to the studio, new to the listeners, I think. Well, most of the listeners, some will know who they are, but uh, it's going to be an exciting episode, I think. I'm ready for uh, some new voices in here, awesome. new messages. Yeah, so I, uh, you got me, Rick Armstrong, um, Ryan Oscar. Thank you. And uh, our two guests today are a gentleman um, who's entertained me from the first time I met him. He uh, sits at certain meetings <clears throat> that I attend in the corner and he kind of him and his partner remind me of the two old Muppets that sit in the back and just <laughs> chirp and heckle from the balcony. Uh, we got Cal here. Say, hi. Say hi, Cal. Hi, Cal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other guest that we got is uh, pretty crazy for me. It's, uh, it's a very old friend of mine. Uh, his name is Chris. And me and him go back, fuck, I don't even know, 25, 25. Probably yeah, 25 years. I'd say 25, yeah, at least. Wow. He actually uh, stood up for me at my wedding, and uh, we kind of drifted apart over the years, and we have we have found each other again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little gooey. Yes, Dave, you got to put some slow track behind that. <laughs> right in the fields. <laughs> so, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. We kind of laid down the ground rules, so... Cal, you got to keep your pants on, rule number one. Yeah, I've been trying to. Not a boy. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, so today we're just going to kind of talk about your journey through, uh, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I know Cal for sure is, there's not too many people that know more about this program or know about uh, recovery than him and his experience. And and Chris, you're <clears throat> coming from a professional background and then into this program, Um Pretty wild, pretty wild to see you here when I first seen you. So welcome to the show, gentlemen. And, uh, what's going on? Well, I think the coolest thing before you start, Cal, is how Chris just kind of got roped into this today. (laughs) He showed up to see what it was all about and suddenly there's a headset and a mic in front of him. So that's pretty (laughs) awesome that you're willing to sit in. Just jump in. It's hilarious, I think, because I've sat there the first day and I'm like, holy shit, how's this going to go? Yeah. And and for the record, we did have Cal and his other Muppet buddy scheduled (laughs) and then uh, that kind of fell apart last minute and Chris was here just to observe and uh, he got tagged in with zero notice, so... Thanks for being adaptable, sir. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, Don't be so enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> you look super thrilled. <laughs> it's kind of a small analogy for my life, I think. <laughs> you know, well, just show up and react. <laughs> Probably not the best way to do things, but yeah. Works okay. here. Works good here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This will be a safe place to show up and react in this room. Yeah. <laughs> So Cal, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and your life and who you are and what got you into this room? Uh, and for the record, he's about 112 years old, so we've only got about an hour to the episodes. As long as I can stay breathing, I can talk. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I'm kind of, I'm, I rode motorcycle for years and years and years, uh, not legally. Like I wore, I wore colors on my back. So I come from that background, which is kind of weird. And it took me a little while to get adjusted to being sober and without drugs because how was I going to exist? And uh, I'll tell you a story. 
I'll tell you a story about Safeways. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, a guy come into the bar in the Bruin Inn in St. Albert and uh, says, come on, we're going to break into Safeways. They got all the checks in there, right? And I'm going, it didn't make too much sense to me at the time, but I said, what are we going to steal, meat? <laughs> and uh, anyway, we, we, I got together with these two other idiots, and uh, the guy taped dynamite to the to the hinges of the safe. And if you know anything about safes, blow the hinges off. It don't don't mean the door opens. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, I got past the alarm because I was an electrical genius. <laughs> really, not really true, but. <laughs> Anyway, got in there and got got the got it taped up, and then I said, "Safety first, guys!" So I put out the flower bags and put them all the way around the safe, and we hid behind the flower bags. <laughs> Safety first, <laughs> and and when the dynamite went off, every window in that whole place went out onto the streets, <laughs> and I had blood coming from my ears and my eyes. And uh, everybody knows if you're a criminal, you don't run away; you walk away. And then you look normal. Trouble is that that guy pulls up and he says, points at Safeways, and we we put up our hands and said we had nothing to do with that, you know. <laughs> Didn't hear what he had to say because I was deaf. <laughs> but uh, in the courtroom, uh, the judge Prittner peed himself laughing when he found out that I looked like a snowman, <laughs> you know. So not us, but I looked like a snowman. Where were you? Yeah. How'd you get that? How'd you get that shit all over you? <laughs> Well, did you get into the safe? No. <laughs> Didn't get a penny. Didn't even get meat. <laughs> Just flour. <laughs> Just flour. <laughs> it was bad. That's genius. Genius. I could have been on that show. What was it called? Remember that show where they used to smart criminals or whatever? Oh, oh yeah. World's smartest criminals. That's. I could have been on that show. I would have won a prize. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed pretty logical at the time, maybe, though. Seemed like a good idea, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Just like every drunk I ever been on, absolutely. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, hold my beer. This will be great. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what you, led you to, uh, you know, what was not to get too much into a war story, but what led you to the decision that it was time to clean up and get sober? Uh, I was in front of Judge Rolf for about the fifth time. And uh, he looked down at me and he said, uh, I don't know even why I was in there, but it would have been something bad for sure. And uh, he looked down at me and he says, I'm going to give you your choice. You can do 13 months in the can or you can do 13, he didn't say can, said jail, or 13 months in AA. And I thought, well, how bad can AA be? What are they going to do, make me ride a goat? <laughs> I'd done that before. <laughs> so... I didn't. I didn't think anything of it. I just wanted to get out of there, so I said, "I'll do AA." Now, here's here's the deal with AA. They're criminals. They're criminals in AA. They really are. They. I had to get a little card signed to say that I was attending meetings, and I never once looked at it and signed it myself. That's my miracle. Wow. So I kept coming. Wow. And now I like it here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be very life-changing, that's for sure. Yep. Chris, what about you, buddy? Uh, Well, I'm a local boy. Uh, grew up in Redcliffe. Um, moved out to Medicine Hat uh, pretty much right before high school. Um, I guess my story kind of started, um, you know, I had a pretty normal upbringing. Um Things started to go a little crazy uh, with my dad when I was probably around 10, around in there, uh, I remember, and uh, some drinking and stuff started happening there. And that progressed into him uh, doing some drugs, and uh, I was around that, you know, I can remember him, you know, I can't top Kel's story, but uh, <laughs> maybe my old man can. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, things things got pretty bad. Um, he ended up doing or uh, going in the hospital trying to clean up, and um, 
they ended up kicking him out actually because he just kept using while he was in the hospital. And finally they called my, called my mom and said, you know, you got to get him out of here. We gave him enough chances kind of thing. And, uh, my mom's very patient and, uh, she had just had enough. She was at the end of her rope. So I can remember going and picking him up and he was just, uh, you know, just high out of his mind. He wouldn't go near my mom cause she knew she, uh, wanted to kick his ass <laughs> and so uh, he kind of stuck to me I had to hold him up I remember holding him up in the elevator and getting him in the car and stuff and uh, next day <clears throat> wake up in the morning he's gone and uh, basically there was an ultimatum there where you know it's the drugs or us and and uh, you got to clean up you got to do your thing I think he was at a at a place where probably he knew he needed a lot of help. He wasn't going to be able to do on it do it on his own, and so I think his plan was probably well. Okay, I'm gonna he he did have a treatment date, I believe, if I remember correctly, somewhere I don't remember where. Um, and then probably you know go out use until that treatment date, and and then clean up and come back home. And then uh, you know timeline's a little hairy you know like i said i was uh, like i think at this time i was now 12 years old um i remember coming home from school one day at uh, at lunch and he was sitting in my room and he goes you're gonna need to be the man of the house for a bit you're gonna need to help out and uh for him this wasn't an unusual conversation like he was always very much preaching despite his own demons and everything you know he was like you need to be able to help out you need to be able you know be a hard worker difference between right and wrong all those things he was very big on that stuff very intelligent man he just you know had his own issues so i didn't think too much of it um and then uh you know he goes about his way and i do my thing short short while later uh police show up at her house and they go you know they're looking for for my old man and we're like well we haven't seen him kind of gave gave the police the situation um, and, uh, they said, well, we think he robbed the hospital. And I'm like, robbed the hospital. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> robbed the hospital. Like, what do you like, how does that work kind of thing? And so I'm not really sure the whole story there. I think somehow he got his hands on some blueprints or something like that. Like he was kind of a, you know, as a blue collar guy, I think he might've done some maintenance work there or something. And, uh, anyways, he dressed up got a ladder, went on top of the roof, cut a hole in the roof. He figured out where all the opiates were and then uh, fell down the hole. I guess he was so high. They think he broke his leg, but he was numbed out enough where, you know, he could still get around on it. So he stole a whole shitload of, uh, you know, more, whatever he could get his hands on. Right. And so he leaves. And so the police are, you know, they're obviously looking for him. He's got a, a, a ton of drugs on him. And we're, you know, we hadn't heard anything, didn't know. A few days later, again, I come home from, from lunch, uh, uh, or for lunch from school. And, uh, my mom shows up a short time later and she's crying and she heard on the radio that they found the man who had robbed the hospital, uh, in Regina, dead of an overdose. And so, um, you know, that was a life changing moment for me, um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of like, you can go down one path or you can go down the other. I remember clearly thinking that. And at that time I started experimenting with, uh, you know, smoking some pot, drinking, whatever, just cause it, it, you know, it was tough to, I don't know if I didn't care or what it was. I just was looking for something else, looking to feel good again. Um, so anyways, that happens. Luckily enough, they started up a football program at the same time, which I really believe kind of saved my life. Uh, so football came around. I was like, holy shit, I can go out on this field and I can just light that guy up. And they're like, good <laughs> yes, job. Yes, you can. <laughs> I'm like, you know, so, uh, you know, I was pretty pumped about that. And I had just, you know, at that point, something went off and I'm like everything that I do in my life from now on is going to be geared towards this sport because there's a lot of opportunity that I can I can get here um so you know things went on I get into high school uh things go pretty good and and uh, long story short you know I ended up playing about six years after high school um uh, getting my education paid for through scholarships and stuff and uh 
very grateful for that opportunity, grateful for the experiences I had. Unfortunately, um, very quickly, probably close to the end of high school, um, the whole everything is geared towards football changed a little bit because I was like, well, I like partying too. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that was around maybe before high school ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, yeah. Like grade, grade, grade 11, grade 12. That that's, I was like, oh, I don't give a shit. Like, like I'm just going to do this. I'm pretty good at it. I could probably get away with partying pretty hard and maintain that, uh, until, uh, you know, until I was, until now, <laughs> until, you know, 39 years old. So it's kind of cool to be sitting here with Cal, who's got a, a ton of sobriety and under, underneath them, mm-hmm. you know, and for myself being, you know, relatively new to the, to the program and everything and, and making some pretty big changes in my life. So it's like, you know, there's some, some disparity here, but, uh, yeah, I, I maintain that. And then even when football is done and, you know, it just kind of sticks with you. And then uh, eventually I get to a point where I'm like, this is, you know, not doing it for me anymore hasn't been doing it for a while uh i'm just not happy with where things are going i got to make some changes and um you know i'd figured out that uh i can't do it on my own i'm gonna need some help uh you know and um through everything else you know i I could go into that more but um it's been pretty cool you know some of the things that have been popped up since i've been working the program uh you know, reconnecting with Rick again, uh, has been, has been huge for me, um, to have that support in my life. And it's just, it's something too, where, you know, we've known each other for so long. Like I can't bullshit him, (laughs) you know, he's going to look at me like, dude, (laughs) you tried pulling that when we were 17, man, (laughs) you know, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. And, um, I'm, uh, yeah, it's cool to be sitting here kind of randomly, but, uh, yeah, it's cool to be sitting here. It's awesome. So how many years do you have? How many years sober are you? I think it's 42. 42. Yeah. Fuck. You got more than the rest of us combined. Yeah. (laughs) Times two or three. Three, maybe. (laughs) Not, I don't think the measure of years is so much important as how I feel. Yeah. That's the important thing. Like, I, I'm still excited about the program. I really am. I'm always excited about it. And the best I ever felt in my life was helping somebody else. That's the best I ever felt. So what do you, what else can I say about that? That's kind of cool in, in itself. Yeah, you're one of the, I don't want to say one of the few. Like, I think I'm pretty lucky with the home group that I have for the meetings that I attend. But, um, you know, I've been to a lot of other meetings where there's, there is some long-term sobriety there, but fuck, is it miserable? Oh, right. And and uh, you, you know that's what I really enjoy about walking into our room is you know you and the other muppet between the two of you, <laughs> you keep everybody cracked up for the whole thing, and that there's got to be a hundred years worth of sobriety between the two of you down there. Pretty near. I think <laughs> I I keep bugging him because I got I got two years on him. I think. <laughs> Anyway, I keep bugging him about that because I hold that over his head. <laughs> that's awesome. But that's only that's only positive about being this old and this sober is holding it over your best friend's head. <laughs> At least you got something going for you. Eh? Exactly. <laughs> so when you uh, when you know, let's talk about that. I guess a bit. Um, the feeling that you get from helping somebody. I mean, I think that's the the key to this whole program, the key to long-term sobriety, the key to, uh, I know for me, like the biggest thing in my life in getting clean and sober was finding purpose. I think I've, you know, f- plugged, I don't even know what the word is, right? Just searched for something my whole life, trying mm-hmm. to find what it was, right? Whether it was business, whether it was partying, whether it was sports, whether it was women, whether what whatever, trying mm-hmm. to, and uh, lo and behold, I think it's purpose. And I think I found purpose through the program of AA and through the program of, you know, different, the different programs that we do. And, uh, and, and then even more so with OCJ and moving forward with that. And, and totally. uh, yeah, maybe speak to that a bit, you know. The, the purpose? Yeah. Well, you know, what keeps you engaged? What keeps you happy? What keeps you fulfilled in this? Well, 
I guess it's uh, seeing a guy like Sasquatch here come in. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to tell you guys, he's a big fella. <laughs> and uh, he, he was actually yellow when he came in. Yellow. I mean, there was no mistake. You could hold a yellow card up beside him and be the same color. And, and uh, two weeks later, he had a little pink in him. So yeah. that was a really exciting point in my life, you know. So seeing that and seeing it happen in front of your eyes really does wake you up a little. Yeah, for sure. And I stay engaged a lot with the drunks. I hear people talk about drunks that are like are less than them. Because they can't stay sober, and I'm just blessed. I'm not one of them. That's all. I'm I'm very thankful, and I don't know how they would knock somebody like that. That could be them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm 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 I probably got a little bit of a reach on me, so I'm a little further away than some. But uh, is I'm the length of my arm away from my next drunk, and I don't want to be on it. Well, I think that piece about helping others is, it's it doesn't matter what 12-step fellowship, I think, anyway, that you attend, that's the cornerstone of, uh, you know, the purpose that you talk about, Rick, is getting out of yourself, getting out of your own way and helping others, make it about somebody else for once. Once you do the work and you're in a, you know, in a place where you can start helping others, I think that, you know, I hear all the time people are always talking about, you know, when you sober up or you get clean or whatever, you have all this spare time. What are you going to do? What do we do with our time? And that's a piece that you can start filling your time with is helping others, right? Whether it's, you know, through the 12 step programs or volunteering, all these things, right? You get sober and you get, you know, your life back on track and there is no better feeling. We talk about this lots. There's no better feeling than helping someone else and seeing that light bulb turn on. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think that, uh, Oh boy, called brain dead. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Well, no, it's a long time happening. <laughs> <laughs> I drank enough to deserve this. <laughs> uh, but I think I think that uh, sometimes I think that uh, I they come in and they ask me how many years I got and I say I'm 42 years sober. They go, "You liar." Yeah. What? I ain't taking that shit. You just lie. And they can't see anything past that. But the guy that's got two days is exciting. Mm-hmm. I know when I came in, I thought the guy with three days was a guru. Yeah. And the guy that was getting a 25-year cake, I thought he was lying through his teeth. For sure. And you know, it's just not relatable. You can't fathom that being no. a, a thing. Because when I came into the program, I couldn't stay clean and sober for five minutes. And here's somebody taking an eight-year birthday. I'm like, bullshit. Yeah, exactly. How did, that's a lie. Yeah, it I get really. That. Yeah, I really get that. I I know when we have meetings and there's new and there's new folks there, we talk to them and and it's kind of unanimous, I guess, right? They're they're often told they're the most important person in the room that day, and and it's true. I mean, but you know that newcomer, I think, is dual purpose, right? Because like you said, I think the guy who can get a couple days a week is way more relatable to that newcomer than the guy mm-hmm. with 42 years, right? Like yeah. you might as well walk in the room and try and convince me you're a unicorn. <laughs> exactly. But the guy with a week, like That's when, when I'm trying to pull together a day, an hour, right? A week is like, even a week is seems like a stretch, but well, it's a lot more attainable than thinking 42 years down the road. Right. Yeah. And there's so much value in that. So, so for me, that newcomer has value because I get really excited knowing how useful they're going to be in two days, yeah, in three days and four days for the next newcomer. Yep. But also what it reminds me of, and I think this is, this is where I see people in the program, I think struggle a bit that don't engage in the work that goes along with the program is I think when you get kind of, you know, if you want to call it frontline and you get, you get in the trenches and you get dirty and you're, and you're actually working with the new guys it keeps it really fresh for me. It's a constant reminder of what it was like. So even if I am mm-hmm. five, six years removed from my last drink, I can, I can remember it like yesterday because I get to relive that pain and the suffering as often as I work with a new guy. And that, that's what keeps it fresh for me. Right. Yeah. And it's, it makes it really, really hard to forget 
Whereas I, I don't think if I had that constant blunt reminder of how mm-hmm. shitty it is out there, that's where the ego starts coming back and being like, oh, no, yeah. it wasn't that bad. And you just yeah. start Maybe. reliving the good times. For right? sure. Don't get me wrong. There were some fucking fun times. Like oh. me and Chris had some really fun times, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> did you get arrested? <laughs> Mm, I don't yeah. think simultaneously. Yeah, not simultaneously, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> there, there were some police involved at times. Then you had some good times. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and and I think e- even then, right? I don't think either of us recognized it as the potential of this turning into a problem. But maybe you did. I don't want to speak for you, but I certainly didn't because I just didn't. I didn't see it coming at seventeen, eighteen years old. But. Um, eventually you know and this i don't know if i was talking to you chris or if i just thought this but it was like for at the end of it i think i was really looking for like a time machine in a bottle or in a line right Mm -hmm. because like by the end of it i was i was using and drinking alone for the most part right like i'd go out i'd go out for drinks with everybody and party with them just so that everybody thought i was good but then when everybody went home i would go home to a pint glass of vodka right and so that's where the party ends is when you're drinking a pint of vodka by yourself. But for me, I think I was always looking for like a time machine in that bottle in the bottom of the glass. Right. Cause I wanted, I was always looking for the fun that stopped mm-hmm. 20 years earlier. Right. And it just never got there. It just became fucking miserable trying to pursue something that's impossible. It's chasing the dragon. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I can say for me, you know, being uh pretty new to the program like i find value in in so many different ways in the rooms where you know there's somebody like cal to me who like i've just got a ton of respect for like i i appreciate how direct people can be and just the bluntness you know like when i've struggled they've called it you know (laughs) like dale who's supposed to be here he told me before i started struggling that I was going to struggle. And it was like, he said, get up off your fucking ass, you know, get up off your couch, go, go start helping people. Even if it's not like, even if it's just, you know, you're shoveling the, the, the walk for the block or mm-hmm. something like you got time, go do it. You, you know, you, it, it'll make you feel better in the long run. And I was like, yeah, oh, I don't know. Shovel the walk. <laughs> sure. everybody. That's bullshit. And I'll just maybe do my one neighbor. <laughs> I don't that's, like that's, the other that's one. good enough those other guys got snowblowers and shit. <laughs> but you know he's right it's uh you can find so much value in those little things and you know for me too just like with the football background um it's it's different but it's the same being able to go and uh whether it's it's coaching you know I'm not going to get into like with who I'm coaching with or anything like that. But, uh, one of the things that, that I really appreciate about the the program is it's not just about making better football players. It's about making better men. And that's what makes you feel good. You know, for a long time in my life, it was all about, we got to win. We got to win. We got to win whatever it takes, you know, lie, cheat, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever that is. But you know, when you really look at things and if what I, when I look back at, at that time and, and the things that have been most helpful to me aren't the, aren't wins, it's not losses. It's the, it's the lessons that I've learned from whether it's other players or other coaches. And so it's kind of the same thing too, like going into the rooms where there can be the, the, you know, the, the old timers as we call them that are just like this wealth of knowledge and are going to tell you how they see it, what they, you know, and I need to hear that. That's, that's me personally. That's my thing. I need that direct. This is, this is what, you know, I think you should be doing. Um, but then there's also sort of like the intermediate folks who still have their struggles and everything. And I, I love listening to those stories. And, um, then the, the new people coming in the rooms because, you know, um, like you say, Rick, like it's a reminder. It's like that, you know, you're back kind of in the trenches and I don't know, you know, with, with where I'm at right now, it's like, it's good to hear that from them so they can remind me because I worry that if, if, if sooner or later I'm going to remind myself and that doesn't look good, Mm -hmm. you know? So, 
Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite the journey and, and, and just meeting everybody and the different, the different people that come into the rooms and the stories and everything else. I remember this, uh, it was, I still had like half a brain at a time. I was just getting out of the hospital, but this guy came into Saturday morning meeting and he was, I think seven years sober. I don't know if you remember this or not, Cal, but he, he, he's not typically at meetings, but he just like, he was home. He had been homeless, um, for, I think he said 15 years or something like that. And one thing that he said, one little line was like life changing for me. And he was talking about first step. And the way he put it, all he said was, I realized that I was 100% fucked. And it was just like, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, 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 I hear that. I hear what you're saying. And if you're going to go and tell that to somebody who's maybe, you know, uh, in, in a different space or who doesn't quite understand what, what uh, you know, being a drunk is like, uh, they're like, you know, probably hard to understand, but. But for, for us sitting here, it's like, yeah, I, I am 100% fucked because Shit. it's unmanageable. It's just totally unmanageable. And so, you know, I found just even trying to explain to friends or family and stuff, they're like, well, like, how does this happen? Like, well, I don't, <laughs> I can't, it's, it, it's like, it's not just, if I could just go and have one drink or two drinks or a six pack or something, that'd be cool. But like you say, Rick, when you get home, you're looking to finish it off with a pint of vodka and so if you know like for me if i was going out i'm drinking before i'm having a mickey before and then i'm going out and i'm partying and that's probably not good enough i'm mm -hmm. not done yet everybody else is done but i'm going home and i'm i'm putting it away i'm taking it home with uh, sure. with whatever else right and uh yeah and then it just it, you know it's just uh just gets nasty so is that the guy with the purple hair it said that? No, that, no, no. I, I thought he said something like that anyway. Could have been. <laughs> I got brain damage. <laughs> well, and I don't think I'm fucked is an uncommon statement in, in the room. To yeah, that yeah, yeah. It, it, it was just, the, it was, it was the way, cause I've heard that before too, but it was just kind of the way that he was talking about it, the yeah. way he put it when he really understood the first step. And I was like, oh Yeah. You know, it was just one of those, for whatever reason, light bulb moments. But yeah. Well, and I think I see it, um, you know, I'm, I'm by no means got the experience that like Cal or some other, the old timers do, but I've, I've been around long enough to see people coming, people go and, and the couple constants that it, like the couple factors that I think really separate the, the marathon runners from the sprinters is, is two things. And that's really conceding to that. Mm -hmm. I'm fucked. Right. Because there's a lot of people that I see come into rooms that are not quite fucked, not quite fucked enough. Yeah. Right. Like they've been through some shit. Yeah. And not like, enough. but not enough. And you can see it in them. Right. And I, like, you know, I, I don't ever want to be the guy that's sitting in the corner betting against people, but, but I, I'm an asshole and I do. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that guy's, he's not done. Right. And you can just see it in them. And, uh, and, and the other thing is, is working with others, you know, people that, people that aren't quite done will relapse mm -hmm. people that aren't willing to work with others that just want to worry about their program and them highly. There's a lot of risk for relapse in that. And, uh, those, those are the two biggest factors I've seen. And maybe you can talk to that Cal, cause you've been around a lot longer than I have, but those are the two main factors. And, and I think that we see a lot of people trying to come in before they're ready and, and, you know, I think society has a tendency to try to catch people six inches from what they perceive their rock bottom to be. Yep. And, uh, they save them before they're ready to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. And it just don't work. No, no. I, and I don't, I don't know anybody's rock bottom can be different. For sure. It's like, it's like discussing somebody's pain. How do you measure that? Yeah. Your pain could be way less than my pain. And I have no idea of that. But it's really painful for you. How the hell do you measure that? Yeah, for sure. It's impossible. Impossible measurement. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they have a cluthon meter. You know what a cluthon <laughs> is, right? No. One thousandth of a clue. 
<laughs> they got those at the dollar store? Where do you pick one of those up? I got to get one. Oh, yeah. They're easy enough to pick up. <laughs> no, I think you're right. And that goes, we talk about that once in a while too, is that's the same as trauma, right? You can't measure how some external event is going to impact everybody, right? Like it's going to impact you differently than it's going to impact you. And oh yeah, when you experience trauma or pain or whatever, right? It's everybody would becomes overwhelmed at different levels and, and you just can't measure that. And you can't judge oval. Oh, well, that's, that's not a big deal. Like if that happened to me, it wouldn't matter. That's just not a practical way to live. I think uh, one of the other things that really jumps out at me, we talk about powerless and uh, unmanageability in step one, right? We did a podcast on this a month or two ago on, st- on, you know, the concepts behind step one and surrendering when you're broken, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's like, that full surrender that I am fucked. Like you just said, right. When that fella said it at the right timing for you to, to resonate with it. And that makes step one so much easier. And then I had to remember that it's not just once I have to surrender. I have to do this on a daily basis and keep going and recognize that. Yeah. Nope. Even though I'm over seven years, I'm still fucked if I pick up. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to keep doing the stuff that got me to today. And that's a pretty cool concept when I started to pick up on that in the first couple of years. I think it gets easier, though. Oh, for sure it does. Yes, it gets way easier. Like, I know coming in, I can still remember, I thought it was insurmountable, Mm -hmm. really. And now, I get up every morning, and I know I'm fucked, so I just start praying. Yeah. Because I got to. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think that I can't can't stress enough on prayer and helping others. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand. Like, pray and help others. A book I read, uh, Dr. Bob is in it, and he says, uh, clean house, no, trust God, clean house, help others. That's his program. Mm -hmm. And I think it's our program now, really. It doesn't get much easier than that. No. No. It's a pretty easy thing to do if you get busy and take the action and start doing it. Yeah. And things get better. You're right. It gets easier. Things get better. At the start, it doesn't seem fathomable. I don't know how I'm going to get through this day type thing, but before you know it, you've strung together 30 days and you're like, how the hell did I get here? Oh, I know how exactly. Like you just said, Cal, that's what I've been doing. So I better keep doing it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty awesome to hear all these experiences in one room because I I just know, you know, I thought I knew everything at the start and and then I got thinking, man, that took me to suicide. I don't know shit. I better start (laughs) listening to other people. (laughs) Yeah. And I it, still don't know shit. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm here 42 years. I still know shit. <laughs> but I like it that way. Thank yeah. you. It's way easier. It takes yeah. the pressure off. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, and that's one thing we talk about, you know, off the air. We've I don't think we've ever talked about it on the air, but never once have we said we're an expert because as soon as you say you're an expert in anything, you're on a pedestal and everybody's looking at you, right? You need to know the answers. And I don't know the answers. We're going to help find some experts for you, but I'm not a fucking expert. You know what an expert is, right? X is an un- unknown quantity. Spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> you want to be one? <laughs> Thank you, no. no. No, the only thing that I can say with any definity is is I'm, I'm an expert in my story. Yeah, oh, for sure. That's it, right? I don't know. I don't know what brought you, you know, even though I know you know, Ryan and I's stories are very similar and what led us to points and, and then what the action, like it's, it's very similar, Ryan mm-hmm. and I, but, uh, I'm still not an expert in his story. For sure. And I have no idea the, the intricacies and the, and the little pieces that made things happen the way they happen. And, and no, you know, Chris, I've fucking known you for as long as I've known almost anybody. Right. And, uh, I don't know, like I have no idea. Right. Uh, the only thing I know, so is is me. So what I think is cool about this is, is it really helps me keep my ego at check going, you know, cause I'll be the first one to admit when I first got into 12 step programs, especially even when we first started OCJ, I was like, there's one road to recovery and this is it. Mm-hmm. And I've, and I've, I feel like I've grown and I've learned over the last year and a half or so that we've been running OCJ is that's my story. That's yeah. what worked for me. But I've, I've had people in this room that have worked different programs that have still maintained sobriety. And I'm like, okay, well, 
I can't say that their program won't work, mm -hmm. but all I can say is I know it worked for me. Yeah. And so I'm not an expert in their program. You want to try that? Sure. Like, and that's, I think what OCJ is here to do is try to put you with the program that'll work for you. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if you've tried all those and they haven't worked, come talk to me and I'll let you in on my secret and maybe, maybe it'll work for you too. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool to hear a bunch of guys with different stories and different backgrounds all come to the same place and be like, well, I tried some other shit and it didn't quite work. And, right. and, uh, like, I know we were sitting in the lobby before we came into the studio today and, uh, we got talking about, um, the harm reduction model and, and Callie said something, uh, the best line I've ever heard. If you'd like to share that with us, what your opinion of harm reduction is. Har to me, harm reduction is, as uh, building a drunk driving lane. Let's build one. So they only crash into each other. Right. <laughs> Which is nuts, but there's, there's very likely some people that are listening that roll their eyes quite hard at that right now. But, uh, you know, if, if you've been where I've been, it kind of makes sense for guys like me anyway, mm -hmm. maybe not everybody, but guys like me, there is, there is no harm reduction. Yeah. It's nope. my harm needs to be reduced to zero. Yeah. That's what it needs to do. Right. For That's sure. That's the only way it worked for me. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, and Cal, you, you know, you're old and you're stubborn, you're kind of miserable, but yeah, um, you yeah, might have a different opinion, but it, it might work for some people. It might, there's, mm -hmm. there's people out there that, you know, the, <clears throat> it might work and good for you. Like, you know, who am I to say what doesn't work for anybody? My uh, sister runs three houses of harm reduction, three of them. And I don't know if she's had much success. I'm sorry. She doesn't talk about it much, mm -hmm. so. I don't see the successes. Now, take a, take a, what the hell do they call it? Salvation Army. They got successes. I know they do. I know, met some of the people that have come through that program, and they're successful. They have stayed sober for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Anything over a year is very successful to me. Yeah, for sure. And I know from working in that industry and in that that model for a few years that, you know, I, I was always asked how you measure success when you're working in that model. And, and, you know, they talk about lots, <clears throat> they, they base it on quality of life, right? When you talk about harm reduction, it's not about abstinence or they just have a whole different view on what success is. And, you know, and that works for a lot of people. And did it work for me? It did for, you know, in my personal life, not a chance it wouldn't work for me. Just like you said, Rick, harm reduction would have killed me because there was no reducing the harm in my life unless I went to zero. But, you know, did it work for me in a professional capacity as well? After a while, not so much because I didn't see any, <clears throat> for me, I didn't see any light bulb moments, right? I, I know that individuals' quality of life were getting a little bit better based on what their story was, but I didn't see the light bulb moments where, you know, I, I get to see in, in what we do at OCJ and I get to see in the rooms and stuff where people's quality of life exponentially increase when they get sober or when they get off drugs. And uh, I wasn't seeing any of that, not enough to, to fulfill my values and fulfill my purpose in life. And that's why I ended up over here because I won't shit on harm reduction. If that's what people want to do, we'll help you find the people that are doing that. But that's, it didn't work for me and it didn't work for you and it wouldn't work for Cal and it probably mm. wouldn't work for you, Chris. And, you no. know, so this is, we're doing something different over here and we're doing, let's get fucking clean and sober and let's get into recovery and let's zero mind altering substance. Let's work on this piece and then we'll see where your life goes. Cause yeah. it's pretty amazing. The gifts just start coming when you work it. And I know we've had professionals, uh, psychologists in studio and we've one particular I can think of. And I remember when she was coming in, she like pretty much introduced herself as a harm reductionist and we were like, oh shit, how's this going to go? Right. And, uh, and we did have a very good discussion sure. and, 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 and again, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying it doesn't work for a guy like me. Yeah. So for sure. I think there's enough agencies and enough programs, enough professionals that will support people in their journey for harm reduction. And awesome. If that's the, what you're looking for and you need some help, come let me know and I'll direct you to those people. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not what we do. Yeah. That's not what you're going to get from us. Um, it is very much an absence based program that I preach that I think, well, I'm pretty sure everybody at this table will, will concede to. Um, it's, it's not, 
It's not the 30th drink of the night that makes me an alcoholic. No. It's the first one. Absolutely. Right. Drink yeah. number one. Yeah. It's got and nothing to do, you know, cause I might, you know, I might be able to go out and have one drink once. Yeah. Mm. Maybe the second mm. time it'll be two, <laughs> but I know it, it, if, if I can, if, and it's a big, if, if I could do it, it wouldn't be sustainable. It yeah. would, you know, it, it wouldn't take too many, I'm um, going out for ones before the wheels completely fall for off. Sure. Yeah. You know, there's and a lot of big ifs in that. For, for sure, sure. Right. And, and the, the improvement in my life, um, not just externally, but internally, the way I feel, mm-hmm. even if I could, I'm not fucking willing to risk it. No. Like that, you know, you could tell me right now that I've got a 98% chance that I would be able to control my drinking moving forward. That 2% isn't fucking worth it not because I know where it led me and I don't ever want to think about putting a gun in my mouth again. You're talking to the choir when you're talking that shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, uh, I believe, I believe that the, the book I read, uh, calls it a phenomenon of craving. Mm-hmm. I call it getting thirsty. I take a drink. I get thirsty. I don't know that I could have a drink ever. I've tried that shit before. <laughs> I never had a drink in my life. I had 800, <laughs> but not one ever in my life. No. We've, we've said that on here before that, you know, for me at my house, if there was two beers in the fridge when I was actively drinking and using, those were the safest two beers in the world. I was never drinking two beer. What the oh, fuck do you, God, no. you put 25 in there and now we're getting started. Yeah. But two beer, they'd last till they expired. <laughs> Could care less. I drank for the effect and I drank till it was all gone and- and I had an eight ball in my pocket and I was drinking some more. <laughs> it was just, we drink, we, we talk about it all the time. We drink till we're homeless, right? Or we're dead. One of the two. Yeah. Eventually we're going to end up in one of those places. Yeah. I was, uh, I was talking with someone the other day and they were like, you know, don't you think, aren't you worried if you go for dinner and somebody's having a couple drinks that, you know, you're going to, it's going to trigger you and you're going to end up on a pisser kind of thing. I'm like, No. Because one or two drinks just pisses me off. Like, it honestly, it frustrates me. I'd rather have a water and a, or a pop or something yeah. like that than have two drinks. I don't want two drinks. I want all the drinks yeah. and, until I can't anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if, if my options are, you can, like, even, like, like, I don't even, like, I was at a point where I didn't even count beer anymore because beer didn't do shit to me. I would have to drink so much of it where I'd just be bloated and it did like, it was, you know, my a friend of mine and I joked, we were like beer drunk. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't count. No. <laughs> you know, are we getting drunk tonight? Or are we getting beer drunk? Yeah. Beer drunk, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah. When I was talking to that person, I was just like, yeah, I can go and sit in a restaurant and you guys can have a few drinks or whatever. That's, I, I, I want to get away from that because, well, I shouldn't say get away, but like, I'm not worried about it. Um, if I was to go to a friend of mine's having their 40th birthday party in a couple of weeks and he's like, you can come up. Nope. Cause I know what's going down at that party. Mm-hmm. There's going to be blackout 30 <laughs> dudes blacked out drunk and that's that's my thing being in that situation or like a super bowl party where you know you're you know the wheels are coming off yeah yeah that's that's my jam you know so that situation i will at least for now avoid but uh yeah i'm not too worried about just being around a couple Mm -hmm. for sure and i think that always goes back to, it reminds me of so many people that can go out and have a few drinks or they, they're the people that ask us why, you know, ask me anyway, why, why can't you just stop drinking? Like, why don't you just go for two drinks or they don't understand, right? They're not one of us. They're not that compulsion and obsession to drink and use drugs won't take over their mind. If they have one drink, like for me, fuck, I don't know where it'll take me, but it's going to be awful. And, uh, going back to that harm reduction model, you know, I did some research around it and cause I've heard lots about, and Rick, we have somebody who we talked to last year, or the year before that talked about this moderation management program on drinking, right. And they're going to show people how to do it properly. 
And I'm like, there's no such thing if you're one of us. And if you don't believe it, Google the lady who started the moderation management program in New York and see what happened to her. She took her life in her mom's basement six or 10 years later because she was one of us. And she talked about how she came up with that program just to prolong her drinking. And now she could be up on a pedestal. I invented this program and now we're going to drink in moderation. And not if you're a full-blown alcoholic and you have addiction issues because eventually she took her life. So yeah, just check that story out. It's very fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting when you start looking at statistics and, and numbers and and uh, and what success is measured by, right? Yeah. And uh, and and you know, well, I got shit that I want to say that I won't. <laughs> um, you brought your break into the room. That's pretty. Yeah, hey, that's different for me. <laughs> Tell, uh, tell me later for Christ's sake. <laughs> That'll save me answering three emails tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. It's it's just um you know, at the end of the day, I just keep coming back to it, right? At the end of the day, there is no safe amount of anything for me. It might be like I said, it might be once, it might be twice I can manage it, but that that's where the unmanageability comes into it for mm-hmm. me. I might be able to manage it once or twice, but it is not sustainable. I cannot sustain management of substances. For sure. I can, uh, I can remember when I first realized that like managing, like, I was different than, than other people. And I had come back to medicine hat. I was living out of town at the time, staying with a friend of mine. He had just moved. We end up out at the bar you know, typical, like we're like, I, this is hazy, <laughs> you know, it was <clears throat> pretty much a blackout, but, uh, my friend happens to be one of the most, uh, impatient people in the world. And so when we were trying to leave, there wasn't a cab there immediately. So we're like, oh, we're just going to walk home. So we started walking and, uh, it was, time of year snow's melting it was real slippery and everything else so we get to there's an overpass by the bar that we're at and we're trying to walk and we're trying we're trying to walk up this hill and we keep sliding and falling down because we're so piled up right can't get up the hill we're full of snow and full of mud and shit laying in this hilarious vision yeah it's it and it's just me and him walk up the hill you know fall all the way down let's try again help each other up have a giggle and then it started getting not so funny so he decides to call his uh fiance and the next thing i remember is she's pulled up at the top of the overpass like irate she's like you guys get in the fucking car and she had to help us into the car we're full of mud and i remember like actively trying not to puke in the back of the car and i'm you know just like just ashamed and then the next day waking up in the morning and she was she you know starts lecturing us like little kids kind of thing and uh she goes like don't you guys have like an off button or a switch that you hit when you get to that point in the night when it's like if you have you know three four more drinks this thing is gonna get real ugly and i remember going like what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> you have one of those <laughs> that's a thing that's a thing yeah like I, it like it was it was totally foreign to me yeah i'm like because i drink until like i'm out of money until i like i i can't drink anymore or you run out oh yeah or you or you run out and and she's looking at us like you know like what's wrong with you like you 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 know you you have to hit that point when you know to stop and i'm like that's not how we do things <laughs> around here and then but then you know upon further reflection going <laughs> maybe i'm the one who's not normal yeah right like that's i should be able to have that that off switch because you know who wants to be laying in the bottom of a ditch full of mud and snow with your buddy's girlfriend coming to pick you up like that's embarrassing you know <laughs> but yeah that was uh there that was another light bulb moment where maybe i should make some changes unfortunately that took another like 15 years so to this day like you know we'll be out 
we were, my wife and I and another couple were out in Banff and kind of doing a bit of a pub crawl, right? Um, going from joint to joint, looking for live music and stuff. And, and like everybody was drinking, obviously, except me and, uh, and my wife, we, it would be time for us to go. We were going to the next bar or whatever, going to the next place or going back to the hotel, whatever it might be. And she'd have like a half a drink left. And like my brain's like, well, fucking chug it. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> You're going to leave that? And she just walks away and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, even at home, you know, we'll, she'll be having a glass of wine in the evening, whatever, like one glass, which is like, what the fuck's the point? But then, uh, she'll, you know, I, I go to bed and there's still a half, a half a glass of wine there. Oh, and I'm like, rookie, what are you doing? <laughs> right. But I'm like, that's, that's insane. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that would piss me off. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> Still yeah. to this day, I notice that when I'm leaving a restaurant or a lounge or something. So we were at the at the whiskey district yeah, a couple weeks ago. Who the fuck ago. leaves a half a drink? And I, yeah, I walked past an empty table and their meals are sitting there, you know, cleaned up and they've left, paid their bill. And there's three quarters of, I don't know how many drinks sitting there. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck is that? That ain't normal. It's still yeah. in my mind. I noticed that right away. I'm like, oh, table of rookies. Losers. Normies. <laughs> I got to tell you, I won't drink with a guy that takes a little cup out of the cupboard to measure how much you're going to put in there. Yeah. I ain't drinking with that asshole. I'm going to drink with the guy that spins the top off oh, the bottle sure. and it hits four walls. Yeah. I'm going to drink with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember those days back in the day, man. We'd get a 60 and we ain't going home till this thing's fucking done. For yeah. sure. So if you're listening to this and you are drinking with people that spin the tops off their bottles and they hit four walls, it's maybe time to do some reflection. Because <laughs> <laughs> if that day isn't today, it's probably coming. Yeah. Because we were all there. Yep. We used to leave my hometown. We'd be driving to Saskatoon. So a three hour drive and we'd do the same thing. Spin the top off the bottle when we hit TV Hill. You got a two and a half hour drive still. And the guy who could still see fairly straight had to drive once we got to the big city. And that was just normal in our life. Nobody cared. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, I think we're the ones with the problem. <laughs> and if you surround yourself with those people, it lasts forever because man, nobody's got a problem. We all do this. It's normal. Yeah. My oh, mom my used God. to say, I'm starting to feel it. She'd be drinking that baby duck shit. <laughs> and she'd say, I'm starting to feel it. And she, I got to quit. And I says, mom, you're just getting started. That's when it gets good. <laughs> you know? So, I mean... My mom was not an alky. Yeah. She should have been, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about getting to our hour here. Um, any parting words of wisdom from you, Cal? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a parting word. We're, we're, on a t we're on a timer here. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, wisdom isn't my strong suit, so forget it. <laughs> Chris? Yeah, I'm with Cal on this one. <laughs> I'm still I'm still trying to trying to be wise, I guess. <laughs> it's a never ending journey. That's for sure. And I think I just wanna finish with um if anything that ever you hear on this podcast, doesn't matter who it comes from, just reach out if any of this stuff resonates. And that's why we have such a vast variety of guests that have recovery in their lives because like Rick said, all our stories are different and what worked for me might not work for everyone out there. I guarantee it won't. So what worked for Cal might work or what worked for Chris or what worked for some of our other guests. And if you hear something that turns that light bulb on or you have a little bit of self-reflection and you're like, holy shit, I think I know what I am now. <laughs> I better get some help. Reach out because uh, we're all here to help. That's for sure. And like you said, Cal, you couldn't have said it any plainer at the start is helping others. And that's why we're all here is to help somebody out there who's struggling because somebody was there to help us at the start. So for sure. And just to jump on that train, like, you know, Chris, he showed up here. Mm -hmm. Poor guy. <laughs> yellow, right? <laughs> the way you described it was Bart Simpson yellow. Yeah. Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson. Homer sorry. Simpson. Yeah. You got more of a Homer build than a Bart build for sure. Um, Homer Simpson yellow, you know, Ryan, you were suicidal. I was as well, ended up in a psych ward. You know, I don't know how, quite how yours ended in front of a judge, right? But like, you don't, it doesn't need to be that way, mm -hmm. right? You, you know, and, and I know like 15 minutes ago, I was preaching about making sure you hit your rock bottom, but like, 
like Cal said, right? Everybody's level of pain is different. And uh, if anything we're saying is familiar and you think you might be on that path or, or maybe you're there, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're there and you just don't know what the fuck to do. Get a hold of somebody, reach out to us. Uh, we don't got all the answers, but we got some direction anyway. So thanks a lot. Love having you guys in the studio. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for having me. Sure, thanks. Yes. Next time I accidentally invite you somewhere, you won't show up because you're going to get baited into jumping on a podcast. I got some other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.